0: Hello, everyone. My name is Robin Kennedy, and this is the governance meeting at PGIP Tech. And tonight we're going to talk about risk management. So, just so I can get an understanding of everybody that's here, does anyone have experience in risk management? Daniel said yes. Everybody else can't find their zero or one key. All right, how many in the room today currently work in an IT environment? Daniel does, excellent. So this one I'm gonna ask Daniel to expound a little bit on that verbally. So Daniel, what kind of risk management do you have experience with? Excuse me, Um, when I was in the Air Force, I was actually, and in, in charge of risk management Well, one of the officers in charge so oh awesome so um i'm a marine so hoorah right semper, semper so fi. um in the air force what kind of i lost you there sorry what kind of risk management well we um boy let me think back. What kind of risks? Well, security risks was okay, number perfect. one. Yeah. Okay, good. Physical was, security, digital security, all the above. Actually, we had okay. we had to physically destroy our tapes and. Okay, right. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, we'll be talking a little bit about that. So I'm going to go real fast through some op a concept of operational risk. And IT is often part in large companies of operational risk or this thing called ORM. I'm not sure if ever if anybody's heard of ORM, but ORM stands for operational risk. So first I just wanna level set on what risk means. So risk is actually the potential, the potential, so the what if, the probability or the likelihood that a threat will exploit current vulnerabilities, right, of an asset, which can either be a person or a piece of hardware or a digital asset or some software and cause loss or damage. It's really that easy um, to think about it that way. So we think about assets, we're talking about information, hardware, software services, documents, even people. We are assets to, to a company. Threats can be internal. They can be external. They can be from errors, malicious attack. They can be intentional from um, and internally from an internal employee equipment failure uh, vulnerabilities can be a lack of knowledge so user error lack of security functionality or implementing security tools correctly or appropriately can also be poor passwords poor password complexity poor training um, and also how we send information how we send or store data all of these Um, threats together can can, um, exploit these vulnerabilities and then cause business impact. We can lose money. We can suffer reputation loss. We can lose business opportunities or we can have a regulatory violation. Um, We can endanger our people or we can interrupt normal business activities. So what is risk management? Basically, it's any activity that we do that's directed toward assessing, mitigating, or monitoring risk. In some cases, acceptable risk may be zero, so we may have no tolerance for risk. Um, and in the Air Force, you may have no tolerance for risk in certain areas. Uh, so for example, um, in flight control systems, we don't have any tolerance for risk. Our, our margin of error is point zero 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 one. But on the other hand, let's say landing a plane on an aircraft carrier with the tail hook, the tail hook has to grab the the, um, line on the deck, there is a little margin for error there. Not a big one, but there is some margin for error. So the activity of assessing, mitigating, and monitoring the margin or risk of that, that tail hook will catch when that pilot attempts to land that plane on the aircraft carrier deck, is risk management. But out here in the business world, risk can come from accidents or natural causes and disasters or from attacks, the kinds of things that Jim tries to thwart and attacks from an adversary. But in business, we actually organize activity to manage the uncertainty and threats. And then we use risk management professionals like myself to ensure people follow procedures and use the right tools, but then also look into the future and and see that mountain coming and hopefully divert our flight path before we hit that mountain. So the way that we can treat risk, we avoid it or eliminate it, we can reduce it or mitigate it, we can transfer it, outsource it to someone else, or we can accept or budget for it and just say, you know what? It's gonna happen. So I'm gonna set some money aside in the event it does. So there's a great example. I work at the CarMax headquarters in cybersecurity. And I don't know if y'all remember a couple of years ago, those giant hailstorms that they had in Texas. And I mean, the hail was the size of a, of a golf ball and larger, a baseball down there. And, Imagine we have three to five hundred cars on one of our car lots. When those hailstorms came through, they put giant, humongous, you know, dents in the tops of these cars and broke the windows and then the hoods and the and the trunks. Totally crushed three to five hundred cars in this lot. You know what? We knew the risk of of potential disaster through storms. We budgeted to have to take loss on those vehicles. And this is just normal course of business. So as part of our operational risk, we knew this could happen possibly. We set aside money, we make sure we have the right insurance and you know what, bring it on hail. Because honestly, we couldn't avoid it. If you can't outrun the storm, you can't move 500 cars. It's a fact of doing business. So to mitigate that risk, we had to, well, one, accept and two, make sure we had enough money on the side to take care of it when it did. So then we could focus on the other part of risk management, which is the people. So did we make sure that we had our communications and our business continuity ready, that we could um, communicate with our associates, that we could make sure that they were out of the way and home with their families when the storm was coming and things like that. So that risk, that operational risk and, and taking care of our people, we had to address too. So it's not just, you know, cold hearted and all about the cars. So that was one example. I have another specific example that happened recently with my friend's truck that he got through CarMax. Hopefully it's a good one. Do you want to share it, Jim? Well, uh, the second day, the transmission kind of died. Just completely toast. Um, But he took it back and um, they said, all right, well, We'll give you that you know um, money for that thirty thousand dollar car, plus we'll let you choose um, anything within that range and then give you an extra five thousand as a spending, like you don't get five thousand dollars cash, you could choose something up to thirty five thousand as opposed to thirty so that was something that they were prepared to do, I'm assuming that was already built into their risk management yes and This is why CarMax is the best place to work in the entire country, right? For 15 years straight, we've made the best place to work. Part of it is because of our people. But just imagine that we took care of that customer, you know, and that goes to reputation risk. We want to take care of that customer because we want that customer for life and we want that customer's family for life. Right. So, no hassle, no haggle. We hooked up that person and threw in a little bit more, and hopefully, we'll win their loyalty because of that. But thanks for that story. That's been my experience. And that's the reason I work at CarMax now. Um, I worked at a credit card company before, and, you know, ruthlessness, they, they would love to sell, you know, $90 worth of credit insurance to someone who just got a $100 credit card. So they call in in order to activate their credit card, and the salesperson on the phone sells them that worthless credit insurance. In case you lose your job, they'll make their credit card payment for you. But the confused individual is like, okay, I'll take that. And then, but they only had a $100 limit on their card. So they hang up the phone from activating their card, and they're $90 in debt. What? Anyway, so that's why I don't work at a credit card company anymore. Anyway, so what you see on the screen right now are operational risk domains. So this is to establish a common vernacular. So working in IT or working in big companies or wherever it is you're going to go forth and and do great things, you're going to see this um, come up in different ways. So operational risk, the whole field of operational risk contains these domains, business continuity, InfoSec, systems infrastructure risk, data quality risk, supplier risk, which is third party risk, associate and employment practices, so that's people risk, external fraud, internal fraud, and then business practices, which are what I just explained a minute ago about the credit card company. That was a pretty risky business practice. So these are the the operational risk domains. So I wanna jump out here for a second and I highlighted third party because I wanted to show you one third party tool that I developed that I use. So at um, CarMax and in operational risk or in any kind of risk management, you really don't need sophisticated tools. You don't need to spend a ton of money on ORM or GRC systems. And there's a lot of them out there and they cost a lot of money. Well, there's a secret sauce to risk management, and you can do all the quantitative uh, measurement you want. You can develop algorithms and and any all these equations, put it all together and spit out a number if if you're familiar with NIST, right So NIST has a whole volume on risk management and some really cool, sophisticated um algorithms and and equations you can use to calculate risk or the impact of risk well that's all fine and good right so that's a good place to start however there's the qualitative part of risk which come from experience and from understanding the business processes and your environment understanding the people or the unique um, unique outside threats that you face so Well, one um, equation is a great place to start, and you get a cool number and say, okay, we're 85, so 85 is high risk. Well, that's great, but what about all the other factors that you can't assign a number to? So what I did, and what I'm going to show you today, right now, is around third parties. So what I'm trying to solve for is when you get a lot of third parties, right? So a lot of people are moving to the cloud. So you need to do an agreement with Amazon. You need to do uh, an agreement with Microsoft or Azure or Google or whoever you choose, right? So you've got to do an agreement and, and get a contract signed with them, but you need to understand their security first. So before you do business with them, even if it isn't one of the big guys, if it's one of the little guys, that's great, but everybody's got threats and vulnerabilities. But before you put all your eggs in one basket and start doing business with a third party, you had better make sure that they have their security act together. Well, how do you determine whether or not you should do due diligence on a third party? So what I put together, because this didn't exist, When I first came to Carmax, So I put the whole third party program together. So let me zoom out so you could say this is see this is a very quick scorecard 10 categories here. And if I zoom in on it, you'll see over on the left, some operational risk categories are here. So here we're talking about, okay, business, you want to come in and you want to do business with Acme company. So I wanna know things about the data, the resources. Is it an internet application? Is there data transfer? Is there a system of record? Is it specialized? Is this vendor in a niche market? Do they have recovery or how quickly would this solution need to be recovered? Is it regulated? What resources will we use? Cause each one of those has a different risk profile. So, if we're talking about data, now we go to the right. High risk to me in my environment would be that we're providing the third party with restricted confidential data or access. So, I give them a five. If we're providing them confidential, I give them a 3.5. If it's publicly available or internal use only, I give them a score of 1.5. So then as I continue talking to that business person and they're telling me about this third party, or I'm working directly with the vendor, are they a key supplier of high risk information? Are they a key supplier of medium risk or low risk? And it goes all the way down. So is this a SaaS supporting a key business function? Is it a SaaS supporting a non-key business function? Is this even a SaaS at all? So when all is said and done, all these questions are answered, and I get a score for this supplier is a medium risk supplier. For my threshold, they fall right here in the middle. They're medium risk. So I'm going to do medium risk type evaluation activities on them, okay? So the um, solution itself is medium risk. Does that make sense? Everybody still with me? Thanks, Daniel. All right, let's jump back over here. So I just wanted to give you an example of the type of of third-party risk that you can do. And I did that very simply with a spreadsheet. So overall, a risk model is gonna look like this for operational risk. So your risk strategy at the top is is usually determined by, you know, if you have a chief risk officer, which is what I do for this this internship, um, or in your company, if you have a chief risk officer, lots of times they're in legal or in finance, they're gonna determine the strategy for the overall company. What is our risk appetite? How much risk are we willing to manage or accept? And then overall resources dedicated to risk management embedded in the organization. We develop a common metric and tools to create the so what of the risk so that we can explain to the layperson, because we're the experts in risk management, the individual business person isn't. They're um, an expert in what it is they do. So if they're a database developer, if they're an infrastructure person, if they're a help desk person. person or if they're out you know selling our product or selling our software they're an expert in that go for it but i'm the expert in risk management so i'm going to make sure that the things that i do help them with the so what what does this mean the building blocks are the common practices and policies and procedures that show us where the risks are There are risk indicators everywhere. There's risk trends, et cetera, and I'll show you some of those in a second. And then the entire um, foundation holding the whole thing up is IT. So we need a technical infrastructure to support all these common processes. So this is basically how we look at operational risk. So again, it's the risk of direct or indirect financial loss from failed or inadequate processes. Associate capabilities or systems and exposure to external events. So what we ask is, are the processes that we currently have executed in control? Are there controls embedded in these processes? Do we have reasonable assurance that they're they're actually happening? So... Um, I got called to uh, at a previous company to go audit why we lost 10 million dollars one night and I flew over there and it, to England and did an audit and I pulled all the documents i did all the interviews i talked to everybody and finished the investigation what I found out was that the employee was late to a soccer game And because the process required him to push a button to start a job at a certain time, he wasn't there. He left early because he had to go to a soccer game. So he wasn't there to push the button to start the job. And so that night, all the subsequent downstream processes didn't run because of that single one, you know, forgetful moment of not pushing that button to execute that job. And Yep. Crazy Brits in their football. They're, they're, they're nuts about it. So he didn't run the job and, and they lost $10 million that night. Well, it was a $10 million education. So that's what we look at is, is that do we have controls within our processes? Do we have a robust control environment? Do we see regular breakdowns and errors? All of these things increase our risk. Our process is sustainable and resilient Does our infrastructure anticipate future business needs? Did we anticipate that storm coming over Texas? Did we see that mountain before we flew into it? Do we expect our processes to continue to form reliably under current and future business conditions? So what is our resiliency today versus if we do these things or don't do these things, what will it be a year from now? Is our process infrastructure prepared to accommodate future needs? So these are the things that we ask when we're trying to determine what our operational risk posture is. So where do we start, especially in IT? We look audit findings. Almost every company is gonna have an audit department, whether they're internal, external, or both. Most large companies have an internal audit shop that should be independent from any other line of business. And they also have, if they're a public company, an external auditor, which is required. And lots of times it's Ernst & Young or, or um, KPMG or one of the big four, Dixon & Hughes. There's a lot of them. But it, you can look, you can tell the control posture in an environment by just looking at the open audit findings. One of the upcoming governance meetings though. I'll do a talk on conducting an IT audit. And that way you'll understand how audit findings and how control, how audits can actually tell you where control is or is not working and actually designing controls to anticipate an, an audit. Control testing results. Most IT shops will have control testing internally. I have actually a compliance shop where I work right now. And even though we're positioned within IT, we provide the service of testing the control environment internally, even though we're not internal audit. So use those, gather that. If there's been any risk assessments, if risk assessments have been conducted, gather that information. Now here's a really key one, and people think that I'm crazy for gathering this, but, event information. So anybody that's done IT support or or actually done uh, monitoring or system monitoring and you dump monitoring logs, pull those logs, you know, pull the logs from a help desk or the help desk tickets. And I did that once. I pulled like 3,000 items from it. And then easily put it in a spreadsheet, did some data management, was able to filter out what I wanted, and I could see a trend. So those types of, of that type of information, slicing and dicing it correctly, could tell me that we have, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of opportunity in X area. So we had, you know, 350 calls on a specific day about a specific area technology or a piece of software or something happened that day or there was an event so you can do trending by looking at the log of help desk calls and you can see where there are potential control breakdowns you kind of like be a detective so take all those four things put them in a giant spreadsheet right and you can look at trends you can find the process and control weaknesses you can look for internal or external fraudulent events and you can find compliance issues by looking at all of those and the aggregate. And it's been my experience, a lot of companies and a lot of risk management professionals, they don't look in the aggregate. They look just in a single silo. So that's one of the things I would caution you on is that if you're looking at risk in your environments in the future, even though one thing that you look at over here is the low risk, right? So, 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 we're gonna offer um, a lending application online, right? So if we capture uh, a customer's um, name, address, and phone number, right? Well, now we have hold of their information and are we gonna store it? Well, a developer might think, well, that's pretty low risk because then I flush it later, right? So they go ahead and do that code. Then another project, does something similar and they call it low risk. Another project does something similar or another piece of that project and they call it low risk. But you've got all of these low risks gathering 10,000 pieces of information in a single day, that elevates that risk level. So 10,000 lows might equal a medium, but you don't know if it does or not. And this is how you find out not that screen, this one I'm gonna bring over. So every company is going to have a risk threshold, okay? So this is a risk model that I've put together um, for my companies in the past and, and when I was a consultant. And you can really, you can find this in NIST, but the key thing to know is one size does not fit all. You really have to understand the the risks that your company faces, what kinds of business processes you have, how mature are those business processes, how mature is the control environment within those business processes, um, how much turnover do you have? You've got to consider all of these factors before you can actually fill out a risk model like this to understand your appetite. Is everybody with me? Following along? All right, cool. So right here, so you're gonna evaluate risk, come up with a number or come up with a name, low, medium, high, critical, by evaluating the likelihood and impact. You could throw in probability later, which kinds of make kind of makes it a 3D model of risk, but we'll just talk about likelihood and impact right now. So when you're talking about likelihood, You've got to have a conversation in the company or even within IT or even within your own department, right? How likely is this to happen and get to frequency? So if something's going to happen, I think every month or every week or every six months, honestly, in our environment, I would consider that above six, a six to 10, right? High. If something isn't gonna happen, but every 11 years, might be 4% chance it would happen every year, then it's gonna be down at a one. So this is pretty standard. You'll see this in a lot of places. Um, I add frequency and annual probability to give it a little more flavor. Over on the right, now this is the fun part. This is the expected impact. So I do something here that I haven't seen a lot of people do in risk environments is I add the qualitative piece that I talked about a second ago. So yes, it's fine to have equations and algorithms that could spit out a number, but there's the soft stuff, the qualitative stuff that actually matters. And it can make you change your risk posture or risk risk actions because they're more important than the number. And let me show you how. So let's say if something happens and it's going to cost us $50,000, okay, I'm going to call that low risk. If the threshold in our department or in our line of business for medium is a million bucks, okay, we can manage risk up to a million bucks. Between five and 10 million, we're going to call that high risk. And then critical, we're going to call $50 Now, you could cut a couple zeros off this for smaller companies and say 50,000, 10,000, so on. But this is pretty easy. So, this is cost. So, quantitative, right? So, if you take the cost to fix it, the downtime, plus the people to fix it, add those up, if they cost this amount, then they're going to be that severity. Does that make sense? one 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 okay now the fun part is the qualitative so this is the soft stuff that we just we've got to figure out what matters to the company so the visibility so who's going to know about it or who has to know about it who has the responsibility of knowing about this so your company may say a director or below can accept fifty thousand dollars worth of risk or below or Take a zero off, right? So $5,000 of risk a director may be able to do. And then on up as far as the dollar amounts go. So it's visible to an AVP or director, I got to get them involved, right? I got I got store or location or a bank down because the line to them is down. The T1 line is down. Then I got to tell that AVP, but it doesn't rise to the level of the executive committee or the president of the company. Now, if I got a whole region down, then I've got to wake people up. The EC and the president. Now, if I have like the whole the whole east coast or the whole company can't do business, something happened in the data center, the cloud exploded, I don't know. Then I need to tell the board of directors. Right. So we need to get a message to them because that's a really big deal. And that's probably material for Sarbanes-Oxley. So then I'm seriously waking people up if the visibility rises to the level of the board of directors. So that's a visibility. So another another um, qualitative category that can help you make a decision around the severity of the risk and giving it a name is the reputation. So this is a good one I use, right? So for low risk, it's not newsworthy. No one's going to pick it up, okay? Medium risk, there'll be brief local news coverage, minimal customer impact. High risk will be local or regional news coverage with high customer impact. And then critical, the flashing red lights, may be national, international news coverage, critical customer impact. So, Does anyone remember the Workday breach? It was just last year. So you've all heard of Workday, right? Workday is that HR software. It's a software as a service. I think they're up in Ohio or something. And Workday, um, uh, you can also apply for jobs. And so companies actually buy it, and then they manage all their HR through it. Like, and um, they put their job postings on it. But me as an employee, I can go into Workday, and I can see my paycheck, and I can see all my benefits and all of that. So it's a pretty big, big outfit. Well, I could talk about this because it was, it came out on um, the national news. And I'm going to take a minute to explain it because it's a great example. So at our company, we had an executive who went into work day to check his pay stub. And just like I would do, you know, on a Thursday before payday, let's say, I'll go in and check my pay stub. and He went in and checked his pay stub. Sure enough, he got paid. And then a couple of days go by and he goes in, he checks his bank account and the money wasn't deposited. So he goes back to work day and he looks and he says, but it says it deposited the money in my account. And then he goes back to the bank and the bank has no record of the deposit. So he calls payroll. Payroll looks it up and says, hey, we sent the money. You know, we paid you. We sent it to your bank. Now, the common denominator between this is Workday. Inside Workday, yes. So inside Workday, he had configured, just like all of us do, his direct deposit. Right? So inside Workday, he had configured his checking account for direct deposit. Well... A few weeks before that or weeks or days before that, he'd received an email and asking him to, you know, update his information in Workday, which is something we would see. So he got a phishing email and didn't recognize it as phishing, and he opened it up, and he clicked on the link, and Workday came up, and he changed his credentials, and he signed out and thought nothing of it. Well, apparently the bad guys did this all over the country. So as soon as he put in his credentials, thinking he was doing the right thing and following orders on this very real email, the bad guys got his credentials, went into Workday, opened it up, and changed the direct deposit information and then logged out. So when payday hit, all the pay from every company that was impacted went to these bank accounts of the bad guys. I know. Think of it on that scale. So it made national news because it was all over the country that this happened and it actually got traced to being withdrawn at ATMs down in Louisiana. I mean, it was a humongous scandal. So a lot of things are at work there, right? So this would have been a critical risk. So while not $50 million dollars, It sure did make national news, because let's think about the remediation, what we had to do on the back end, right? So when those bad guys got the credentials to that Workday login, and they went in and they changed that information, they also had access to that employee's family, so they could see the family information. They could see the healthcare information. They could see the benefits information. They could see everything about that person's family. So when the company needed to make restitution to the employee, they also had to make restitution to every family member whose data was exposed to the bad guys. Ouch. That was just one person. This happened to hundreds of companies across the country over a period of a week and a half. It was a disaster, basically, on a national scale. So that was a critical risk because it made national news, even though it didn't rise to the level of $50 million. Eek, right? The next one is goal achievement. So... Minus visibility, don't think about that. Don't think about reputation. Let's talk about goal achievement. So could a specific risk impact an an individual employee's goal achievement? A business line's goal achievement? An entire area's goal achievement? Or the entire company's strategic goal? So if it meets one of these criteria, then you could call it low, medium, or high as well and then the final one that i use is compliance is there a compliance or regulatory impact will the feds come knock in and slap us with a huge fine if if this risk comes true so is there minor or isolated compliance issue is a regulator required to issue a resolution to us does a regulator publicly warn the company so this goes to, over here, local or regional or national headline. So this could be actually this quadrant right here, because reputation is huge. So if a regulator makes a public comment about a company, it's the kiss of death. If they make, well, it's actually the kiss of warning of death. If they take action against a company, then that's the kiss of death. So. If a risk could result in a regulator, the kiss of last rights, if if the risk could result in a regulator taking action against a company, yes, you better call that critical. So this is my risk model, right? And then everybody loves red, yellow, or green, right? So what I do is I use this risk index scale. These numbers actually correspond. Two risks here so let's just look at a risk log this is an example risk log and you can actually go in and you pick answer all these questions cross-reference to cobit etc put in the dollar amounts and then you end up with a risk using the risk matrix I just showed you what so that's how all that works So at the end of the day, if you use the tools, or if I use, or the risk professional uses the tools that I just showed you, then you can produce reports like this. So on the left, you see the business unit, let's say it's the IT risk profile. Every circle here corresponds to an IT risk category. So these are the IT risk categories, process execution, infrastructure, data quality, infosec and their little circle is over here, okay? So based on all the information that we gathered, based on all the assessment we did, all the, the gut checks and the secret sauce and the even the quantitative stuff we put against it, we give it a score. Map it on this heat map, and then we can show leadership or senior management where our risk is trending. Now, here's another thing that I do that a lot of people don't see if I can zoom in right here. So normally people do low risk, high risk, and then probability and likelihood as the vertical axis. I don't. I use control maturity. So is there high control maturity or low control maturity? Do we have control in that area? So five would mean that they have low control maturity and one down here they have high and then you could also substitute it for you have effective or strong risk management or weak risk management so something could be high risk over here i've got third party management and high risk but i'm looking at its control maturity and it's about middle of the board so now this puppy might not fall out for me needing my immediate attention because it's just below the line but it's still high risk, I'm gonna monitor that. I'm not gonna put any resources after it. Here, if my control maturity is low, I don't have good controls in place, or the controls that are in place are weak or have been broken, then they're gonna fall on this scale up here. So right here, in this particular example, Systems infrastructure, so remember a few slides back I told you, look at the audit findings, look at the events, look at the incidents, put them all together, and it'll show you trends. So if you do that, then this is why system and infrastructure ended up here. Yes, it's a high risk right now, and it has low control maturity and weak risk management. So it falls up here in this quadrant, which means, you know what, we need to put some effort and energy in these areas right now okay external fraud is another one that made it into this area and the reason for that is let's say okay we've got hackers at the borders we don't have a honeypot we don't have any proof point we don't have any tools thwarting these bad guys well you know what we have a higher risk for external fraud and low control maturity We need to throw some money and effort and time at those areas. Does this make sense? Any questions so far? Thank you, Nicole. All right. Down here on the bottom, what I like to do for executives is show them emerging threats. So, um, Jim's good at this. He'll, he'll send emails about things going on and, and uh, the cyber geeky guys in my department do the same thing. So they know what's going on where and, and um, the, the urgent threat um, information that we get from the government and stuff like that. So we'll actually map these threats. So if something's happening right now, like a couple of those severe ransomware worms that happened a, a year ago, We would put them on here and we would tell them, okay, these are high-risk threats. Take a look at this. We need you to know that this is happening right now. And here's what we're doing to thwart that risk. Over here, emerging threats and current action, what have we done? So this is a scale, you know, executives like charts. Over here is some information if they want to read it later. So you can roll this information up. Yeah, we did last night you can roll this information up in a business unit perspective so if we take all of this say, say this is just it's apply the same type of rigor across lines of business we can say that hey you know what we've got a problem over here in this line of business in credit card or in retail banking or whatever type of your business that you run we got a problem over here in hr we've got a problem over here in finance because We've done our due diligence over there, so they fall here. Then we should put some effort and control remediation and risk remediation in those areas. So you bubble those up by the line of business level. And this is what a dashboard would look like, for example, to a line of business so, or departments. Across the top, you see the departments, department A, B, C, D. And in information security, this is where we think they run on a on a on um, where they are in a risk level right now, about three. So remember I talked earlier about um, aggregating all those risk indicators? Here they are. So on the risk log, let's say I had 44 risks. I have two audit findings and no issues and events in this area for these departments. And then business continuity, same thing. Change management, we've got some bigger issues down here. Um, project management wasn't observed governance and control. we've got good processes in place. There no audit findings, only one risk on the log. So you could put dashboards together like this, and then you can, you can see the, the mountain coming so that you can change course and not hit it. That's the purpose of the risk of risk management. Let me see my time here. All right. So y'all want to see another model. One for yes, zero for no. I have one more model. I'll show you guys if you want to see it. Hello? Anyone left? Oh, okay. True. I was like checking my mic, and but maybe everybody's watching TV now. So I have one more risk model, and then I'll let you guys go. So this one I am particularly proud of because, again, it's another one that doesn't exist in the world today, but I created one. So what I did is I think it's really important to look at risk as a whole. So you can't look at it just likelihood and impact of, of access management being wrong or or not removing access timely or of ransomware or malware you have to look at risk in the big picture so let's take for example here a t1 is and we still have t1 lines but you know your your internet access to your location is down what would the impact be of that What would the impact be of of your line going down to your corporate office or whatever? So how would you determine that impact Um, if that particular thing would happen? uh, You could put something in here like what if there was a ransomware attack and it it encrypted, you know, all of our our files, right? What would we do? And so you could run any type of scenario through this model. So let's take a look at it. So using this example, a T1 line is down. So I look at all at this particular instance from seven categories. Is it material? Does it impact the population? Likelihood of impact, probability of impact. Does it impact confidentiality, integrity, or availability? So then evaluate, does the condition presented by the assessment finding, so the T1 being down, have a material impact? Let's find out how. This is how we look at it. So materiality in this case means a four is its material, a regulator action. So remember when I I showed you the, the model a minute ago, regulatory action against the company. So you would score it a four for materiality. So go back here and you put a four in that box. Now, moving to the right, would it be an impact to the population? Take a look at the reference. Impact population, associates, customers, reputation, leadership impact. All associates, multiple, one department, one associate, or no impact. So. For this one, I said three, which means multiple associates or stores, multiple customers, blah, blah, blah. So I put a three in that box. Likelihood. Likelihood to occur, likelihood of impact, or window of opportunity. To occur within the next 30 days, it's imminent. It is going to happen. Within 90 days, likely to occur this year, likely if deferred past a year, or not likely. And what did I put there? Two. So a two likely to occur this year. Now we're evaluating that it actually did happen. The T1 line went down. But let's say, I mean, you're going to have a T1 line go down. So we put a two in that box. But let's get to the fun stuff. So here, there'll be negative publicity. The next one, cause business process to slow down. And then you go through and answer the questions here and put the right number in. Okay. Now, here's the thing that I do that most other companies don't. The main thing, so at Marriott, their main mission was to put heads in beds. So, sell hotel rooms, put heads in beds, right? At CarMax, we sell a car. We buy a car. We service a loan. We originate a loan. We generate leads Um, help customers, right? So these are our main business processes. So could the T1 line being down prevent the company from selling a car? Yep, yep, kinda, kinda, yes, yes, yes. So the T1 being down, we could still show people cars, but we couldn't sell the car there. Could it stop us from buying a car? Yep, yep, yep. Mm, No. Kinda, kinda, kinda. And we go back to this reference here. Likely to occur in 90 days. Probability hasn't happened, but likely to happen. Um, Unauthorized disclosure of events. So if we look here, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. I scored those particularly low. Right here, because a T1 line being down isn't really going to impact the confidentiality, integrity, or availability of buying a car. Does that make sense? So you go through each business process. Awesome. Go through each business process and answer those questions. Um, loans. Were out of scope because the T1 line was to a store and not to a finance company. Would it keep us from generating leads? These scored relatively high. This is a zero to four scale because we take leads at CarMax.com or wherever. If we can't get the lead to the store, to this particular store, then that's going to be have impact on our ability to generate the lead For the store, and then would it impact the auctions? No, so that's low. The second section is the aggregate criticality. So, you know, I'm all about aggregation, right? Could it impact financial reporting? Mm, Not really, so it wouldn't be for Sarbanes Oxley. Could it lead to financial loss? Yep, scored that one high. Would it impact associate satisfaction? Sure, you know, if they were counting on getting a sale that day. Customer satisfaction, yes, if they were counting to come pick up their car that day. Increase the likelihood of a cyber incident, maybe. So I scored this a three. So it was a maybe because if it gets out that there's a vulnerability or something is down then cyber attackers are even more pressed to to attack further or do more. If they think you're down, they want to attack you more. Would it negatively impact downstream business decisions? I scored this one relatively high as well, because if you're making any assumptions or any decisions based on the performance of that store or bank or branch or whatever, then yes, it's going to impact downstream business decisions. Then, are there any third parties involved? So this is another one. That's the other section. So at the end of the day, answer all the questions here. Do this analysis based on this event, and bam, you come up with a score. So this one fell in the high category, 83.54. So I know this was a lot of information. I took up a whole bunch of time, and does anybody have any questions about risk? It was like a fire hose of operational risk management for you, but I think I can wrap it up now. And I know y'all got to go to the cyber meeting. So if y'all have any questions, there's my email address, robin.kennedy at pgiptech.com. You're welcome, Thomas. Any questions? Excellent. You too. Thanks for coming and have a great night.